Welcome to Coffee with Romina. This is your host, Romina Muhammadai, award-winning leader, negotiation and sales expert, and your new favorite podcaster. Each week, we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary people of diverse industries, sharing practical advice and tips on how to overcome career and personal obstacles, define your own success, and take charge of your own destination. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now let the show begin. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome back to Coffee with Romina podcast. If this is your first time ever listening to our podcast, welcome to our show. And to my loyal listeners, welcome back. And again, thank you so much for trusting me with your time. Some house errands, you guys. Just make sure to go ahead and hit that subscribe button wherever you are getting your podcast juice from to make sure that you are never missing any of our future episodes as well. And as a matter of fact, if you are listening from Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five-star review. If you are waiting for a sign to give us a five-star review and write a short comment of how amazing we are doing, this is your sign. Go ahead and do it. You have my permission. (laughs) Well, you guys, today's episode, actually, we are going to talk about how to delegate efficiently and prevent burnouts. And today's guest is Karen Sullivan. So I know a lot of entrepreneurs out there, whenever we launch our brain babies and we grow it with full passion, we protect it to the maximum. And sometimes we can be a little bit too protected of our brain baby, our business. And often we are terrified to actually delegate work because we feel as the final product will not be as good as it would be if we did the whole work 100% of the time. This interview will touch just that topic. And we're actually going to talk about how you can tap into your genius zone or discover a new genius zone by delegating some of your tasks. Karen Sullivan, you guys, she's a fourth generation entrepreneur, an award-winning designer with a long life passion for persuasive visual and written communication. I love it how she actually explains delegation. She's a firm believer that if you can document it, you can delegate it. And if you can delegate it, you can lead it. So this way you'd be able to actually allow yourself more time, especially for those visionary people out there, you guys. It would allow us more time to stay in the genius zone and it would allow us more time to actually dive into new ideas. But I don't want to get into nitty gritty of the detail. I definitely want you guys to enjoy the episode. Go ahead and connect with Karen. The links are on the show notes, so feel free to do so and tell her Romina sent you. And before we get to the show, you guys... Maybe you've noticed, but this is episode 99. 99, you guys. Can you believe it? Next week, as a matter of fact, will be episode 100. Three digits. One, zero, zero. And on the next week episode, episode 100, you guys, it's actually me taking the guest seat for once and allowing my very good friend Jen Amos take the host spot for Coffee with Romina podcast. That is one episode that you definitely don't want to miss out. You will get to know me, my American life story, my work, my life, my obstacles in America, I would call it. A a lot. We talk about a lot in that episode. So that is for next week. But let's stick to this week. How to delegate efficiently and prevent burnouts with Karen Sullivan, you guys. Enjoy the show. Hi, Karen. How are you today? Hey, Romina. It's wonderful to be here. Absolutely. Well, first, I want to thank you so much for taking your time and being a part of the show. I know you probably have a hundred other things around right now in your business, (laughs) but I definitely want to pass on the mic to you to tell us a little bit. How did you go about having the career that you currently have? 
I have always had this career, literally grew up in a family business where the mantra was make yourself useful. And if you didn't know what to do to make yourself useful, we'll find something for you. So that was a great intro. And I I did a lot of different things, of course, but soon found out at a very, very young age that if you can influence buyers and improve the customer experience, that trumps everything. That's the most important lesson that you can learn in any business. You've got to sell it. Whatever it is you're in business to do, you've got to sell it. Anything that improves the sales process is gold. So I learned very early on, make the merchandise look better, make the conversation look better, make any advertising look better, whatever that is, just to find ways to improve the message and improve the product. And that's kind of been, I think my life's work is solving problems to make things more appealing, more attractive, more saleable. This show is sponsored by Sales Law of Averages online course. The course is a business development course teaching sales professionals and entrepreneurs how to master their sales funnel through sales and negotiation techniques. We all work hard on our leads, but unfortunately often fail to convert those leads to sales. Well, now you can say goodbye to those days. Order the course today at connectwithromina.com forward slash courses to get a deep discount. Receive access to over 40 videos, five hours of training material, and study even movie negotiation scenes today for just $79. Use the promo code Romina, which is spelled R-O-M-I-N-A at checkout. Again, the website is connectwithromina.com forward slash courses and use the promo code Romina that's spelled R-O-M-I-N-A at checkout. Master your sales today. That's a very critical thing because you might have the most brilliant idea out there, but if your sales are, you know, down or you don't know how to sell, then it's just going to be sitting there looking like a shiny thing and not making revenue. So that's critical. It is. And very few people have the thought processes in place. It's very difficult to do both. At the same time, I'm not the person that comes up with that one great idea to take it to market. You know, I haven't patented anything or whatever. I've discovered I'm very, very good at seeing the attraction in someone else's idea and helping them commercialize it. As a visionary, how do you handle processing everything through making sure, you know, all the details are there? Do you have like a pen and a paper always with you? I do. I always have a pen and paper. Really, really big fan. I'll give a shout out to the folks at Rocketbook with the erasable. Squirt some water on it and erase it after you've captured it digitally. Always have my iPhone with me. Always have some way to capture something, whether I talk to it, write to it, or just take a picture of it. My biggest fear is not being able to find a reference at some point. But I I also have learned over the years that I am a processor. So I have to see it. I have to think through it. Sometimes it takes a little more time because my mind is always working and you know, running. I, yeah, my mind works faster than my mouth a lot of times. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a little crazy. I've gotten used to warning my clients that if there's a little dead space on the phone for a minute, you can't see the wheels turning, but there is smoke coming out. So, <laughs> wait, does this happen to you? Sometimes you process so many things in your mind. Like this happens a lot to me when I'm around friends and I have an idea. I'll just blur up, but I'll blur up like half of the sentence. And they'll be like, okay, are, are you okay? But like I was thinking, but I had to say it out loud to register it. Do you do that too? Yeah, I definitely do that. Or sometimes I'll get halfway through a thought and, and it'll come out. And then 
the rest of it just hasn't formed yet. So it's it's almost like a video that has to buffer, you know, <laughs> before everything it's comes working out. Working on DSL for a second. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so you know, some of my my you know, my friends are used to that. Clients uh, sometimes they have to get used to that. <laughs> A lot of people do that, especially because once you have ideas, you launch a business, you launch an idea, that's your brain baby, I would say. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you overwhelm yourself with so many things that in order to run more, you know, grow and be successful, you have to hire people, and which means delegating work. For people, they are a little control freaks um, in a good positive way, or people that are always like visionary, always have a something idea. How hard is it to delegate work? I think for a lot of people, it is really, really hard. I struggle with it all the time. That is probably my acknowledged. The one big fault that I really acknowledge to myself is I really, really am no good at delegating when it's my baby. Yeah. You know, in a management situation or when there's a level when I'm one or two levels removed from it. So in a, in a client situation, it's a little easier to delegate. But I really identify with my clients who find it hard to delegate. You have to have some comfort level that the person understands what you're trying to do and they take it just as seriously as you do or seriously enough. And getting that comfort level is really, really critical. It's critical with an employee. It's critical with a subcontractor or you know, whoever you're working with. But in my mind, I think of it as you have to let yourself fail at it to learn how to do it. It doesn't come naturally. When do you know you have to delegate? Is it when you're sleepless or you're working like 80 hours a week? <laughs> when do you know you're like, okay, I have to delegate X, Y, and Z? Because if not, I'm going to burn myself. I think that's different for different people as well. I like to work, so it's not really a number of hours, but it's when something else isn't getting done or something else is not getting done as well. There are some things that I certainly don't mind doing or that I even like to do, but I simply have realized over time I can't do them as well mm -hmm. as when I delegate them. So, you know, you find the people you can work with, the people that have the same values, that have the same criteria. They don't have to be right all the time, or at least right in, you know, my version of right, because a lot of times the right people know better on these delegated things than I do. But you just have to get to know yourself well enough to know when you aren't doing the good job, what can you let go of? You know, start small, mm -hmm. baby steps, start with the things that you don't like to do. And for me, that's bookkeeping. I can do it. I just choose not to. So that's one thing that's really easy for me to delegate. Once you start in that regard, then you start looking at some of the other pieces around that. So whenever you like go to a job, let's say, delegation where uh, I know this podcast about for developing personally and business wise, because at the end of the day, we are one individual. But mm. to somebody that maybe it's a small business owner, or somebody like an higher uh, executive leader trying to hire somebody, what is some really good things to look at whenever you're interviewing the person to delegate? Do you like suggest like personality assessment tasks? What kind of questions besides the standard ones, like going over the resume, which I think that's the most boring thing ever. <laughs> but <laughs> what are some extra things that you think would be a good way to research, make sure you find the right person? You know, especially in a small business scenario, I'm a real fan of try it out first. I have worked with folks who cannot interview. I have worked with folks who can interview so well, they totally pull the wool over your eyes. Especially in, in what we call the gig economy, there are alternatives to making that long-term commitment. 
especially in small business, it is such a big commitment to hire someone that if you can find an arrangement where they can do some contract work or do some part-time work so that you can assess their skills and sort of try it out, I I think that's a good way to progress to that. Knowing what you're going to have them do, training them, and kind of the pot calling the kettle black here. Those are things that are really, really hard to do, knowing how to train them appropriately and, and invest time. I think it's less of the interview process than it is just boots on the ground and let's see how you march. The trials period. Mm -hmm. So something that I came across a lot is I work with a lot of consultants and for them, it's like a biggest struggle ever to outsource their marketing or to delegate their marketing because they feel like it's not going to be done properly or they feel like it's not going to transparent, you know, what they stand for. But why is it important to outsource marketing to somebody else that has done 50 projects on different clients in the same type of era or the same type of genre, I would say? Yeah, I think it's really easy, especially with marketing. There's so much media out there that says, oh, you can do this yourself. Facebook is so easy. You can do this. You can place an ad, internet and television service providers, you know, do ads yourself and create this stuff and you can be your own marketing person. Yeah, you can. This stuff is doable, but you fall into that. No one person is good at everything. And there are small business owners, there are entrepreneurs out there who really do have a good instinct for the marketing and for connecting with their customers. A lot of them don't. And it doesn't make sense to fight it. If you're fighting something that you're not good at, you're going to have a bad experience. You know, if I had a dollar for every client that's come to me and has had one, two, five bad experiences with other marketers, those experiences are are actually very similar to the hiring experiences. If you don't set the expectations, if you don't know where you're going and have a shared understanding of the direction, but then you, you have to let the person go and do it. And it's just really hard to be hands off on something that's so emotional. It's really, really hard to take the emotion out of marketing. Do you think also, like, if you were to hire somebody for marketing, let's say in-house, do you think you should definitely put them to like communication courses, like communication training or public speaking? Because that's pretty much like, you know, reaching out and trying to think like another perspective. Do you think that's important to do as well? You know, I think those are all good things, but I think where the disconnect comes, we want to send people off to a class and have them be educated in how to do something. And we think that's going to work. But the real communication that needs to happen, the time spent needs to be internally. It needs to be within the company where the person with the vision needs to spend time with that person. So the marketer understands what is needing to happen and understands the vision for the product and understands the intention behind it and the benefits of it. You can go to a class on how to be a better communicator, but it won't save you from having to do the work of understanding what it is you're trying to communicate. So you learn it in theory, but you need the practice. You have to have the practice. And it's about asking questions and and understanding what, what you don't know. I joke a lot about sometimes you just have to make stuff up. And it always matters, but it's at some level in in working with folks who don't have a background in the communication and in in the marketing, sometimes you can show them something that is wrong and they understand that and can tell you that it's wrong more easily than they can tell you when you show them something that's right. So you kind of have to figure out how to get the good stuff out of the client's head so that they understand that you're doing what they want but it isn't always what they say they want. 
I had a guest actually a couple of weeks ago that I interviewed. He said sometimes whenever there's in meetings, like for important decisions, he said I'll throw out there the stupidest idea ever just to see if people are actually paying attention or to see if they're like, that's a good idea. He's like, because I need to keep them in check too. And he said, the yeah. people that call me up, that's the people that I delegate the work to be like, okay, you, you caught it because it's wrong. Yeah. Very often it's easier for people to catch the wrong stuff. And I think that's in delegating so many times with sort of green or, or younger employees. They're so caught up in it having to be right the first time. You know, they don't want to bring in a, a piece of work for my review without it being right. No, a lot of times it's just easier. Bring me whatever you're thinking mm -hmm. and I can think through it and it's easier. It keeps the wheels turning for everybody if you just keep feeding the machine. How do you motivate the employee though to bring the idea, but not the 100% good idea to the executive? Because sometimes employees get hold back because they're like, if I don't do this right, like it will deduct points from my evaluation or whatever it can be. How do we welcome them even their half ideas in because that's when we can brainstorm and maybe, you know, that's just the spark you need for the whole next amazing idea. You have to be dedicated to, to listening to the bad ideas the same way you'll want to listen to the good ideas. And you can't find fault with the offering of the idea. You, you can discuss the pros and cons and know it won't work for this reason, but you do have to say, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I don't think it's going to work in this scenario, but I'm glad you, you thought of it because of this, this, and this. In talking through why the bad ideas don't work is a really good way of coaching them into how to move into the good ideas. Mm -hmm. You talk through that process. It's not just a, a red check mark, although I have been known to do that, but that's really not what it's about. Show me what you're thinking so that I, I can help keep you on the right track not let you get derailed because the absolute worst thing you can do is invest an entire day, you know, fine tuning and perfecting the wrong idea. You know, I'd much rather come interrupt me, bounce it off my head. And to, to some extent, I think we have to have the guts to do that with the client as well, mm -hmm. because we can't invest too much time or too much brain power in going down the wrong path. We want to get it out and get it, get it on the right track. Consume the energy the right way. <laughs> exactly. So you are the fourth generation entrepreneur in your family. Well, first off, growing up in an entrepreneurship business household, how has that helped you as an individual? I think that's given me a, a broader perspective and a really solid sense of just how personal business is. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about business at breakfast. We talked about business over the dinner table. And you know what? We talked about business at Christmas. So, you know, on the one hand, it sort of over the top, a lot of times it felt like too much. It really did. But that's life. The true entrepreneur is very passionate about what they're doing. And that is their life. You know, that is more into this day. I would sit down and talk shop with you far easier, far longer. You may have trouble getting me to shut up at the end of this podcast. Yeah, I know you're seeing that, right? Oh, no, I, I know. I had this happen the other day. Like a friend of mine is like, what is new with you? So I just start talking and will not shut up. Yeah. And 30 minutes later, I was like, I am so sorry. I was like, I did not realize it was 30 minutes of me talking. For most people that, and the people that I, I enjoy working with, that's how it is. 
we're seeing an emergence of a new kind of entrepreneur, which is truly just in it for the business. And they're able to maybe detach from, from some of that emotional attachment to it. But for most people, it is very emotional and it's very personal. And you, you referred to it as, you know, sort of being your baby. It is. I don't have you know, babies, but it is my baby. <laughs> you know, because it, it, it is a part of you. It comes out of you. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's the one takeaway. It's just how personal it really, really is. You know, there's a great quote in the movie, You've Got Mail. Tom Hanks, first of all, says it's not personal. It was just business. And Meg Ryan comes back and says, no, it, it's always personal. It is. If you would say maybe, because that's a big takeaway from just your, you know, your family running business, growing up in that environment and is generational. But if you would say like two other big takeaways, two big do's and two big don'ts on a business world, just from that firsthand, you know, connection and experience growing up in such a family environment, what would you say that would be to be a successful entrepreneur or a successful, you know, business leader? I think... To do it over again or to start over, I wish I had gotten a better handle on the emotion of it. There's books about emotional intelligence and you can go on and on and on, but that's very real. And I think women in general, I will make sexist generalization there, women especially tend to be more emotional. But I think that's, that's the one thing is somehow find a way to detach and, and allow business decisions to be business decisions. Don't be afraid to fail. And, you know, just like I am not going to judge an employee who brings in a less than stellar idea because it's an opportunity for learning and an, an opportunity to get it right. I need to allow myself the same flexibility to make mistakes and to keep getting better. And I, I think that was one of the big takeaways is, you know, I've always been afraid to fail. And if you're afraid to fail, I think you're afraid to succeed. That is so true, though, because again, kind of going back to the female, and maybe it's the mother instinct and your baby idea. So we get a lot more emotional, like mama bear comes out mm -hmm. <laughs> in one way or another. But it is true, though, because you connect yourself emotionally a lot. Like I grew up with my parents having their business, too. So I can definitely see that, especially like my mom would be a lot more emotional than my dad when he came to business. And I can see it with me, too. So that does take practice, though. It's not a flip mm -hmm. switch. It does take practice. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this about uh, marketing and uh, the lovely 2020, because I feel like this year has combined 10 years for us. It's been <laughs> a year on steroids. <laughs> yeah. What did you say has been like so far from what you've seen as being one of the best and one of the worst marketing strategies that businesses have applied? One of the best strategies has been just relax and stay in touch. The ones that have gone into a panic mm -hmm. and worried about the wrong things. Yeah, we're all worried about money. We're all worried about whether the relief package is going to come through or, or whatever. But I think the best marketing has been to just keep in touch, keep your name out there, keep the conversations going. Also, it's been a, a wonderful opportunity to invest in your own business. There were you know, a couple of months at the beginning of the pandemic where the PPP funding was initially announced, it had an eight-week cap on it. And it was like, well, wait a minute, you know, all these businesses are saying that we're shut down. How do we keep our people employed? Mm -hmm. That's a great opportunity to do training, to do some cross-organizational work, to do some internal marketing. There were businesses that took advantage of that. 
and invested in themselves however they needed to do that. And I, I think that was the strategy. That was the long-term strategy. There were a lot of ways to make that happen. What about the worst strategy that you've seen people use? I think the worst strategy is to just do nothing. Well, I don't have money, so I can't do this. I just had to shut everything off. And that's a knee-jerk reaction. You can't stay in business if you just kind of bury your head in the sand because I don't have money. I don't have any way to do anything. Even if you have to shut the doors, shut off the lights, you still have to keep your name out there. Mm-hmm. You, may, you may not have cash, but you have time. You do have resources and you, you have to continue to invest them. You have to, you have to continue to market. So what I'm getting from it is don't switch to the survival mode, switch to maintain and thrival mode. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And again, I think it comes back to some of that emotion, you know, the fear factor, you just go into panic. You've got to take a deep breath and say, okay, how how am I going to make this work? What can I do? Yeah. What can I do with what I have? Several clients that have had situations where they went into completely different manufacturing modes, started making PPE equipment. You know, they, they started making the personal protective equipment as opposed to some of the other products that they may have been making because they literally said to themselves, I'm in a situation, I've got to sell something. How can I do this? You know, and get outside that box, get outside the fear and find a way to move forward. So I think it's very important to also have the right people around you. And I know you work with a lot of clients, but can you describe us a little bit who would be the ideal client? If they're like, I would need somebody to have, you know, to be on my right side if things go south. 2021, hopefully they don't, but you never know. What would be the ideal client so they can definitely reach out? The ideal client for me is a privately held company, probably in the 10 to 50 million range, where the owner is still wearing the the boss hat every Mm -hmm. day and usually a few other hats as well. Most of our clients are more in the B2B than B2C side, but we work well with coming in at at the C-suite level. So we're working with the the owner themselves and helping them manage their marketing, not do their marketing, but manage their marketing from the C-suite level. And sometimes that means helping coach their existing employees. Sometimes that means outsourcing and we'll actually do some of the tactical work, but it's always coming on board as part of the C-suite team to strategically manage the marketing. So I love how you said maybe start with internal employees because internally you have to start from the roots, from the fundamentals, the day-to-day people that do the job. You do. And typically, the, you know, the first marketing hire is usually somebody fresh out of college with a lot of good technical skills, but not a lot of experience. So we're good at coming in and saying, well, we've had, you know, we've seen it go this way. We've seen it go this way. We've seen it go this way. So, it, you know, let's, in this situation, how do we best utilize those technical skills? and get them working, you know, like we used the analogy earlier, going down the right path or you know, yeah. keeping them on the rails. But what I find a lot of times too, is that's the person that the business owner is least likely to be able to manage because they're, the, you know, they're this creative person over here, you know, being very off the wall or trying to do technical and creative things that the business owner doesn't want to, or can't get his head around. Yeah. So how do you, how do you manage somebody doing that stuff? So we're kind of going back to the importance of delegation to the proper people, the proper jobs, where we kind of started the conversation. <laughs> right, right. 
Very, very good full circle there. <laughs> so, so we'll set up processes and set up some goals and stuff to help those teams be successful on a long-term basis. Awesome. And where can people connect with you? People can best find me at SullivanSolutions.com. And I'll attach the information on the show notes, you guys. So for my lazy listeners, it's a tap away. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> because sometimes instead of, you know, searching it, it's like a click mm-hmm. away. So convenient. I don't know what more convenient can be than that. First off, wherever you listen your podcast from, whatever podcast platform you use to get your podcast juice, you guys can also see our pretty faces on YouTube now and on Facebook because we're doing video interviews as well. We did our makeup today. We look really great, you guys. So go (laughs) ahead and jump in and see this interview. And my last two questions, this is kind of exciting. I'm really intrigued. What's a new and exciting project that you're working on? Something that you can share with us? Because I know typically you don't share stuff. So like, boom, here you go. (laughs) No, I think one of the most exciting things that I'm doing right now is, well, actually a couple of things, you know. A visionary. There's no other way. (laughs) Right, exactly. So COVID was my opportunity to sort of rethink my strengths and, and kind of get back to some, some of my own marketing. So I've, I've been excited to sort of revisit some of that stuff. And I've actually reconnected a bit with the family business that I grew up in, which is not marketing. And I've started to get involved a little bit more in that with their marketing as well. So that's been really exciting for me. Family businesses are unique. And they had their their additional challenges. So far, we're enjoying that immensely. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, yeah. They have their own dynamic system. Sometimes separating family and business. It's a whole nother conversation. Because again, emotions, they run high. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. The family business is a whole nother thing, you guys. So make sure you partner up with the right people and your partner on the family member. It's also a visionary or somebody that, you know, really is passionate about doing what they do. Because it's not just because it's your brother or your sister or your wife you need to partner up. So make sure it's the right person. What is your personal definition of success? I would say minimizing the regrets. And, you know, it's, it's never fair to say no regrets because then you haven't tried hard enough. But even some of the failures don't have to be regrets if something that came out of it was positive. And I think as long as you're moving forward and moving towards your goals, it it is positive. So maybe that's kind of a twofold thing. But do I really regret some of those bad decisions? You know what? No, a lot of them. If I were honest, I'd probably make the same decision again, given, given that information. So being honest about the failures, my definition of success is minimal regrets. I like that. I have not got that one. Like it's the, <laughs> oh, good. I really like it because in my head now it's like minimize them instead of giving them like I don't know from scale one to ten instead of giving them like a ten point on a regret you can just deduct the points and they'll kind of slowly kind of fade away. I like that. Sorry, my brain just yeah. again like my brain just start popping up like oh okay scale system <laughs> points numbers. <laughs> yeah, if if I made you think, I'm I'm happy. Absolutely. Happy. Thank you. That, I feel like I should write a whole article about it. Now, like I got a lot going on. <laughs> oh, good. Even better. Even better. Here we yes, go. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Any last thing you'd like to leave our listeners with? Uh, any questions that maybe I didn't ask you that you'd like to mention? No, I think just thanks for opening the conversation. And I, I have enjoyed this immensely. You've asked some wonderful questions and it's, it's been an enjoyable experience. So thank you.
Absolutely. Thank you for being a part of the show. And for you, my listeners, if you want to listen to amazing episodes just like this one, make sure to tune in every Tuesday to listen to interviews, get your weekly dosage of knowledge, and learn at least one new thing per episode. Until then, we'll see you next week. This podcast is a 6-7 Radius production. To learn more about 6-7 Radius, our services, and how we can help you strategize your marketing and increase your sales, click the service tab on connectwithromina.com.